Isaiah 41, look at this. Do not fear. I'm going to be with you. Don't be dismayed. I am your God. And look at all these things that God said he's going to do. He said, I'm going to strengthen you and help you. I'm going to uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now let me give you a theological picture real quick. We talk about the face of God, we talk about the hand of God. When you talk about the face of God, you're talking about the character, the attributes. You're talking about the holiness. You're talking about the majesty of God. But when you talk about the hand of God, you're talking about all power in heaven and earth and all eternity. And he said, I'm going to hold you with my righteous right hand. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. AZ.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. We are more than conquerors. I pray this series has been a blessing. We're, we'll wrap it down between uh, here and Easter. We have one more Sunday before Easter. And we've got a wonderful uh, Easter program planned and it's just going to be a great time. Uh, uh, Bev, Bev and, and Sarah do an incredible job putting together the Christmas and Easter and all those programs. How many think they do a pretty good job, don't they? I just really appreciate, you know. Um, I, just try to, I just try to get out of the way and just you know, do something that helps. It's just a, a wonderful, and I'm excited about what we're going to do this Easter. So make plans to be here. Bring your family, your friends. It'll be a great, great time. Hal Lindsey, uh, he was a guy that really showed up on the scene back in the 60s. And some of you that are old enough remember a book called The Late Great Planet Earth. I think it was a book that pretty much every Christian read at one time or another. There was some stuff in it that, you know, is kind of a little far-fetched, but you know, I, it, was, it was good, and it was good reading, and, and uh, it was good to challenge you with the fact of where we are in this world. He made a statement in that book, and that statement is this, man can live about 40 days without food, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air. I, I, that's a little struggle for me, eight minutes without air. I, I know people can do that, but. But listen to what it says here. But he can only live for about one second without hope. I want to make this statement. Hope is what truly makes us more than a conqueror. Hope is what enables us to do all things unto the Lord. Hope is what enables us to know that no matter what is going on, that God's still in the middle of what's going on. 
and that I can still do right in the midst of the wrong because I know that it's not always going to be like this. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 5, it's on the screen, it's in your notes. Moses had died, and, and God is, is trying to encourage Joshua because Joshua had lived all these years watching miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle at the hand of his servant, at Mo- God's servant Moses. Well, now Moses is dead. Moses is gone. But look what God tells Joshua. He said, no one. Say that with me. No one. Now look at somebody and say it the same way. No one. Look at somebody. No one. Because this is not a Joshua statement. This is a you and me statement. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. Now, as we read through Joshua 1, we see the contingencies there, and that is trusting God. That's why I believe at the beginning of this, of this time, when, when Julie was singing that wonderful song, We Need You, and, and the, the Holy Spirit just pricked my heart and say, you know, most of us really don't, really, really don't believe that. And it's not that we don't, we don't uh, accept it mentally, but we don't adhere to it emotionally, socially, and, and, and physically by actually bringing God into everything in our lives. God was trying to give Joshua hope. He looks like he's in a hopeless situation. He looks at the struggles that Moses had with the children of Israel. He watched the ground open up and, and swallow up countless people because they rebelled against Moses. And Joshua's probably thinking, who the heck am I? Just like some of us. Who am I? But look what God says. As I was with Moses, read this with me, the next line. So I will be with you. I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. I'm just going to let that settle in. Just like I was with Moses. Just like I was with Paul. Just like I was with Peter. Just like I was with Timothy. Let me go on to the less popular ones. The less big names. Just like I was with Epaphras. Just like I was with all of these different people. I'll be with you. Folks, in this world we live, we have to know that's our hope. That I'll never leave, I'll never forsake. No matter where you are, even if you don't invite God in, he's still going to be there. People say, well, well, God's everywhere. That's right. But God's not moving everywhere. We think he is just because he's everywhere. No, Two things God did first, and I've taught it in this church many times. How do you remember? They both start with C. First one was creation. Second one was Calvary. That's the only two things in all of Scripture God did first. Everything else he did in response to us. 
everything else he does in response to you and I. So God is trying to tell Joshua, Josh, just like I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. So get that out of your mind. You're going to get thoughts. You're going to get lies. You're going to get torments. You're going to get assaults. But don't worry. I'm going to be there. Even if you're not faithful, he told us in the book of Timothy, I'm still going to remain faithful. Why? Because God said, I can't deny myself. I will never leave. I will never forsake. It's interesting that same passage is found over in in Hebrews 13.5, where it says, be content with such things as you have. And people say, well, that means that if I have a lot, I should be content. If I have nothing, I should be content. has nothing to do with it. You've got to read it in context. Be content with such things as you have, for it is written. That tells you right there where our contentment is in the thing he's about to say. Be content with what you have. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. See, that's the hope. That's where our whole life, that's what makes me a conqueror. Even when I feel like I'm under somebody's foot. Even when it feels like the devil's on top and I'm on. No, I'm still the conqueror. I looked at the back of the book. We went. Isaiah 41, look at this. Do not fear. I'm going to be with you. Don't be dismayed. I am your God. And look at all these things that God said he's going to do. He said, I'm going to strengthen you and help you. I'm going to uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now, let me give you a theological picture real quick. We talk about the face of God. We talk about the hand of God. When you talk about the face of God, you're talking about the character, the attributes. You're talking about the holiness. You're talking about the majesty of God. But when you talk about the hand of God, you're talking about all power in heaven and earth and all eternity. And he said, I'm going to hold you with my righteous right hand. Are you with me? He didn't say, Pastor Tim's going to hold you. He didn't say, Bill Weaver's going to hold you. He said, I'm going to hold you. And how is he going to hold me? With the thing that Satan fears. God's hand. Hmm. Say, what's the big deal? Well, with that hand, he shut the mouth of hungry lions in a place called Daniel's lion's den. With that hand, he split an ocean in two, the Red Sea. With that hand, he rolled a stone away, and Jesus came forth. See, that hand... He said, that's what I'm going to hold you in. I am more than a conqueror because I'm in the hope of his hand. Look, it says, all the rays against you, they will be ashamed. They will be disgraced. Those who oppose you be as nothing. Though you even search for your enemies. Listen to this. When you're 
in God's hand, when you're in God's hope, when you're in that confidence that he'll never leave, never forsake, look at this. If you're looking for your enemies, you'll not even be able to find them. Why? They're gone. Because you're in God's hand. He said, I'll make them as nothing at all. For I am the Lord, your God, who holds you in my right hand. I take hold of your right hand and say to you, don't fear. I'm going to help you. Don't be afraid. Let me take you to the psalmist. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High and rests in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God, and whom I'll trust. Surely he will save me from the fowler's snare and the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings, and you will take refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. Listen to what it says. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but they'll not come near you. Folks, this is called hope. No matter where I'm at, no matter where I've been, God's going to get me where I'm going. I love this statement that Spurgeon made oh so many years ago. He said, everyone who is a man of God, ladies, you can put woman in there, this was Spurgeon writing over 100 years ago. Everyone who is a man of God has, listen to this, omnipotence as his guardian. That word omnipotence means the unending, unequaled, unmeasurable power of God. Look what it says. God will sooner empty heaven of angels than to leave his saints without defense. How many are feeling a little bit emboldened this morning? A little bit encouraged. Jesus has promised in John 14 that he'll never leave us comfortless. I read this just a moment ago, Hebrews 13, 5. Let your character and moral disposition be free from the love of money, including greed, lust, craving for earthly possessions, and be satisfied with your present circumstance and with what you have. For he, God himself, has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, or leave you without support. I love this. I'm reading this out of the Amplified Bible. Look what it says. The emphasis. This is what the Amplified does. It expounds in the nuances of the original language of the Greek, which is of the New Testament. Look what it says here. I will not. I will not. I will. Look at the emphasis God is telling us. I will not, three times it emphasizes, I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake you, let you down, or relax my hold on you. Folks, we're right back to that powerful right hand of God. I'll not relax my hold on you, assuredly not. Man, I love the emphasis. So in this we take comfort. Encouraged. 
confidently and boldly say, the Lord's my helper. I'm not going to be seized with alarm. I'll not fear or dread or be terrified. And then look at this. What can man do? There's a statement that I've said many times. And that statement very simply is that peace is not an absence of problems. It is the confidence in the one who holds the solutions. It's the same with your security and mine. Security does not mean there's an absence of danger. But it's the confidence that I'm in the presence of God no matter what the danger. That God's right there with me. Look, look, look at Daniel. You know, they're, they're studying this in the Women's Tuesday morning Bible study. Look at Daniel. Darius passes a decree that nobody can pray, nobody can make any kind of uh, uh, request to any God but him for a certain period of time. And the Bible says the minute Daniel heard the decree was signed, he went and prayed. You talk about audacity. Or is it tenacity? My God's bigger than your God. My God's bigger than... No, I think what Daniel was saying, my dad can whoop your dad anytime. And he said, I know who is my strength. I know who is my power. I know where my help comes from. And so you sign that thing, fine. I'm going to go talk to dad. And so he did. He knew exactly because the decree said, if you do this, you become lion food. He knew. Okay. Just one of them more time for dad to show his righteous right hand. He was thrown in the den. The next day, Darius, who didn't want it to happen, says, Daniel, has the God you serve shut the mouth of the lions? And Daniel, he loved the king. He served the king. But he wouldn't exalt the king before God. And so we know the story. Daniel was delivered out, and the people that accused him were thrown in. And the Bible says they were killed before they even hit the ground. Andrew Benai said, if the Father has the kingdom ready for us, he guarantees to take care of us along the way. I told you I had a lot of scripture. Romans chapter 8, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible I'm going to skip around. I'm going to read the 24th verse. We were given this hope when we were saved. Verse 24. Jump down 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good. Okay? Now, I want you to underline that word, the. Because we always want to turn it around and say God works everything together for good. That's not what it says. It says the good. To the benefit. There can be good things that don't benefit me. But God wants to get very specific. He said, I'm working together for the good. 
of those who love me and are called according to his purpose, to my purpose, he says, for their lives. We talk about bringing God into the middle of everything that we're doing. That's what God's talking about. He said, this is the hope I give you the minute you get saved, Romans 8, 24. Start with the 28th verse. That hope is we know that God is causing everything to work together for the good of those who are called, who love God and are called according to his purpose for their lives. Just because you and I are doing something that we think is good does not mean it's going to turn out good. Why? It may not be God's plan. And we have to be okay in the midst of that. Do you know why? Because we should know as children of God, God, are you in this thing? Because we're asking him. We're inviting him. Am I making sense? Say, yeah, I got four yeses, okay. Am I making sense? Okay, good. I worked really hard on this message. I want to make sure that it comes across correctly. I always ask my wife at the end of service, I said, honey, did today make sense? Oh, yeah, yeah. She always gives me that, that wife answer. It's always, yeah, yeah. You know why I ask her? You know why I ask sometimes you? Does this make, does it make sense today? In my mind, lots of things make sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really scary. <laughs> but it may not make sense in your mind. So I want to make sure that, that what I have articulated in paper or put on paper is articulated across to where it makes sense. Look at this, okay? For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. This is where we get the doctrine of predestination is out of this passage. Okay, in your Bible, it might say God is predestined. That word predestined was better translated predetermined. From the foundation of the world, this is why God knew who was going to be saved in advance. He did not set down, well, you can get saved and you can get saved, but no, you can't. It don't matter how bad you want to get saved, you can't get saved. And you can get saved and you, no, but no, it's not, you can't. Okay, yeah, but I really want to be saved. You can't because I already said no. The question I asked the eternal security folks, why Jesus die? Why does the scripture full of all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved all the way from Genesis to Revelation if it's not our choice? Okay, anyway, that's another sermon for another time. That's one of those Wednesday night sermons because we can talk about all this stuff. But look what he says here. God knew in advance who was going to get saved. And he gave every one of them the ability to become like his son, is what that passage is saying. So that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them the right to stand with himself. There's that hope again. And having given them the right, he gave them his glory. What shall we say about these wonderful things? Look what it says. If God is for me, who can be against me? Since he did not spare his own son, but he offered him up for us. Won't he also do everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen as his own? No one, for God himself has given us the right to be with himself. Who will condemn us? No one. For Jesus Christ died for us and was raised to life for us 
and he is sitting in the place of honor. Where is he? Where is he? At God's right hand, pleading for us. In the book of Revelation, it says that we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. The verse right before that in chapter uh, chapter 10 says that the accuser day and night accuses us before God. This is why this Wednesday night class that I'm starting on, uh, you know, being guilty but living guilt-free is going to be a critical message for for anybody that's a child of God because the accuser accuses us day and night. It never will end until the day you go home. Look what it says here. At his right hand, pleading for us. Can anything separate us from his love? Okay, so real quick, let's go through this. That was just the foundation. Real quick, let's go through this. If this is true, what can anybody that comes against you do? What can any man do? Write this in great big letters on your notes. Write nothing. What can man do? Write the word nothing. I had to go look here and make sure I left that off. Oh, yes. I put all this stuff in my notes, and I, you have to fill some things in on your notes. What can man do? Nothing. If I'm standing in the hope of his right hand, what can man do? You see, life depicted in Scripture is straight and narrow or broad and wide. We all begin life at the same place. Yet what takes us down the center or skirting the sides depend on how we choose to walk out this life. We started this passage by saying we are saved by hope. What hope? Colossians chapter 1 said, Is Christ in me who is the hope of glory? And because of hope, we can be secure that all things will work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Once again, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God. It's about God's operation in our life, fulfilling the plan that he has put you in this world to fulfill. Can somebody say amen? Well, the scripture says, look at this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Will you read that out loud with me? Because I want you to hear yourself say that. Come on, all together now, go. Our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Let's say that again. Our present troubles are small and won't last very long. How many of you believe that? But look what they do. They produce a glory that vastly outweighs them all and will last forever. You say, preacher, you don't understand what I'm going through. In light of what Jesus went through, we're going through nothing. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Small. Look at John 1. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, what happened? Gave the right to become the children of God. 
Now, you notice it doesn't say a select few. It doesn't say, you know, who God predetermined or pre-selected or predestined. It says to how many? All who received him, those who believed on his name. Look at Galatians 3. Pizza. See, a lot of people think, well, we're all God's children. Red and yellow, black and white. They had two other colors in there. I don't remember what they were. We were precious in his sight. But do you know the Bible says that not everybody is God's children? Look what it says here in Galatians. For you are all the sons of God through faith. If you're a Christian, you're a child of God. If you're not, you're not. See, this is hard. This is hard for people to chew on. This is why it's imperative that we jump into his hand, that we can stand in his hope. Romans 8, 31 through, uh, 30 through 31. Those he predestined. Those he predetermined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. And Paul finalizes a statement of encouragement and strength. And he said, what shall we say to these things? If God is for me, who can be against me? So what, what fear do I have for man? What issues do I have? What can man do to stop me? Well, you know, the pastor, I, I, stopped, I stopped living for God because of the pastor. Really? I stopped living for God because of the church. Really? I stopped living for God because of my wife, because of my husband, because of this, because fill in the blank. Really? They were that powerful that they could overcome God? Remember Daniel? Darius, you could put a thousand hungry lions in there, it don't matter. I'm in dad's right hand. Okay, so let's go number two. If this is true, the man can do nothing. Let me ask you the, the indomitable question. What can Satan do to me? Uh, right next to that, in great big letters, write the word. You guys are already ahead of me. Luke 10 says, I have given you authority to trample on serpents, scorpions, over all the power of the enemy. And nothing will harm you. Let's go back to Romans 8. Who dares to accuse us? Remember the accuser of the brethren, Revelation 10? Day and night accuses us before God. Who dares to accuse us? No one. God's the one that made us righteous. That's what right standing means with himself. Right standing with his help, himself means righteous. Who can condemn us? The Bible says in, in Romans 8 verse 1, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But there's a caveat, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Who can condemn us? Nobody, because Jesus died. And not that he just died, he was raised to life. 
Not that he's just raised to life, but he now sits at the place of honor and glory at God's right hand pleading for us. You know, when the Bible says he sat at God's right hand, it means he accomplished the task he brought to do. One day, you and I will be seated in heavenly places together with the Lord because we will finish the task. What can separate us from Christ's love? 2 Corinthians 10, look at this. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're, excuse me, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world, but on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. You and I have divine power operating in our lives. In Ephesians 6, be strong in the Lord, listen, and his mighty power. You notice it doesn't say in your ability. Folks, if we try to stand against the enemy alone, we're done. But when the devil comes knocking on your door, you need to open that little door. You know those peepholes they used to put in there? You open that door. Oh, it's you. Jesus, somebody's at the door for you. You see, he wants you to think he's there for you. No, Jesus said, my kid, my job. Well, I hope you're getting this because I'm having a great time preaching it. It's just... In all these things, Romans 8 says, we are more than conquerors. Say that with me. We are more than conquerors. Say it again. We are more than, now come on, say it like you mean it. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I got some Greek there for you that you can read. Isaiah 41, look what it says. All who rage against you will be ashamed and brought to disgrace. They'll become as nothing at all. See, what the scripture does, Paul, throughout scripture, incorporates the physical and spiritual maladies here and concludes, man nor devil can do anything to overcome us. Why? We are more than conquerors. So, as I begin to wrap this up, if it's true that man can do nothing, and it's true that Satan can do nothing to stop us, to hinder us, to cause us to give in, give out, give up, let me ask you the third question. What shall God be able to do for those that love him and trust him and sit in his righteous right hand? Next to there in great big letters, write everything. If you know who you are in Christ, man can do nothing, the devil can do nothing, but God, but God can do everything. As we go through the scriptures, we find security unlike found anywhere in life or living in those who are in God's care. Let me say it this way. They are well kept who God keeps. Look at John 10. My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them, they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one can snatch them out of my hand. Now that's another one of those scriptures that, that 
people that you know want to live the life they want to live and and uh, still claim to be Christian. They say, well, no, nobody can snatch. And so my response very simply is, yeah, but you can walk out. And they say, nope, God's stronger than that. God can stop you from walking out. Why would he? If I was married to my wife and I started bringing home two or three girls a week, you think she's going to let me hang around? If I violate my vow to her, is she going to want me to hang around? Would you? If you're going to violate your vow to God, do you think he wants you hanging around? Oh, it's getting nervous in here. It's a choice, isn't it? It's a choice. I choose to be in his hand. That means I choose to abide as he said to abide which you can read John 15 later if you'd like. Let's, let's move on here. Jesus not only lived a sinless life, died a martyr's death, but in his resurrection, he arose a conqueror's victor. Jesus lives to stand in the gap in defense for you and for I. Look at Hebrews 7. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come because he ever lives to make intercession for us. He is praying for us day and night. John 17, my prayer, Father, is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them in the world from the evil one. Look at this protection that God had. Jesus' own prayer, he said, Father, I need them to stay in the world because they're the ones that's going to tell them about you and me. But I need you to protect them. Second Peter says, The Lord is not slow concerning his promise, as people count slowness, but he's patient because he doesn't want any to perish. Philippians 1, being confident of this, being confident of this, being confident of this, that he, Jesus, who began the work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day that Jesus returns. Philippians 4 says, I can do all things. Come on, say that with me. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. See, this is why Paul could confidently and boldly say here in Romans 8, 28, I know all things work together for the good. Paul went through some bad stuff. But he said, I know that God's in the middle of this. He'd already accepted that his value was not in this life or the security of this world. He knew it was in Christ Jesus. This is why he could boldly say these words in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. That is why we can stand with great encouragement and say that I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor presence, nor future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. I can stand confident in that because I'm in God's right hand and he has made me more than a conqueror. I'm there. And I choose to stay there. As Christians, I invite the worship team to come. We can be secure in God's promises.
simply because we know these truths. Our value to God is immeasurable. He loved us so much that he gave us one and only son. We can stand in confidence in the promises because we know life and living in this world can't bring and was never meant to bring us happiness. Only our relationship in Christ. The things are not will give us security that we desperately desire and need. And that tomorrow only becomes secure because of the faith we have in Christ today. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 4, said, I fix my eyes not on what is seen, but on the things that are unseen. Now I want you to look at me just for a second. Take your eyes off your notes. And I want you to look at this passage. There's always more going on than what's going on. There's always more happening in us than happening to us. This is why Paul, probably the greatest apostle in all scripture, I think I could fairly say that, two-thirds of the New Testament God penned through his hand. He said, I don't fix my eyes on what's happening. Look at me, please. I want you to grab this. A lot of stuff is happening. Good stuff, bad stuff. Happiness is based on happenings. If it's good happening, then you got happiness. If it's bad happening, you have sadness or lack of happiness. He said, I don't fix my eyes on the things that are seen. But I know there's much more going on behind the scenes. In the book of 1 Kings, we read about Elisha, or Elisha, Elijah, one of the two Elisha guys, and Gehazi. Who is it, Pastor Ray? Elijah. I think it's Elijah. Elijah and Gehazi. They're in this tower. The king of Syria is all ticked off because the king of Israel always knows what's going on. So he said, go find out what's going on. So they sent a guy out and the guy found out, oh, it's because God tells Elijah everything is happening. Well, Elijah, uh, the, the king of Syria, knew he couldn't stop God. Didn't believe God, but he couldn't stop any God. And so he said, fine, go find Elijah. Surround him. We'll stop him. Then God ain't got nobody to talk to. Nanny, nanny, nanny. You know, God just raised somebody else up. Are you with me? Is that right, Nicole? Listen to me. If God's for me, who can be against me? Why should I fear what man can do? Even if he's a king, even if even as the president, even if he's whoever. The Bible says that Gehazi got up one morning and looked out the window of the tower. And the mountain was surrounded with thousands of chariots. And Gehazi was fit to be tied. He went and woke up Elijah. You know when you're waking up the man of God, you've got to have an issue. He went and woke up Elijah. 
It's Elijah. The whole, the whole mountainside. It's, it's. Oh, you, you. I mean, all the army. Every. I mean, he was, he was without words. Can you imagine Elijah? Pretend like I'm laying down. Can you see me over here? Here's Elijah. What? God, open his eyes. And Elijah goes back to sleep. Could you imagine Gehazi? He's probably thinking, Do you don't, he doesn't realize what we're surrounded. But before Elijah dozed back off, these words came out of his lips. Let him see there's more for us than against us. Elijah begrudgingly walked back out to the window and he saw the mountainside. Thousands of soldiers, but surrounding them, tens of thousands of armies of chariots of fire and angels surrounding to show him there is more for you than there is against you. Listen to what Paul said. I don't fix my eyes on what is seen. I fix my eyes on what is not seen. And listen to what he said. Because what is seen is temporal. It's on the screen. It's just here for a little bit. It's temporary. What is unseen is eternal. That's what I base my life on. Because I know I'm rested in his righteous right hand. And that man can do nothing. The devil can do nothing. But once I get a hold of that, God can do everything. I leave you with a riddle. I have another scripture up there, Isaiah 41, but I've already read it. So I leave you with a riddle. I'll answer the riddle so you don't have to leave here today bumfuzzled. What is bigger than God? And if I shared this riddle with you, don't say what the answer is out loud. Because I'm going to. What's bigger than God? Meaner than the devil? People do it every day. And if they don't stop doing it, they're going to wind up in hell because of it. Let me say it again. What's bigger than God? What's meaner than the devil? People do it every day. And if they don't stop doing it, they're going to wind up in hell because of it. We've had the answer all thrown long. It's nothing. Nothing's bigger than God. Ain't nothing meaner than the devil. And sadly... We do nothing every day. And if we don't stop doing nothing, we may very well wind up in hell because of it. Jesus didn't die for nothing. He died to give us life that we could do something. Can somebody say amen? What can man do? What can the devil do? What can God do? Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. 
Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast. Yeah.